1: Third and final hour, Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. My thanks to John Castillo. Uh, it's been a long time coming to have him on the show, and I so appreciate the time and the substantive, meaningful conversation that we have had the, the fortune to have this morning with him. As today, Manuel High School, Tay Anderson is leading a meeting with uh, so-called community meeting Put on by Moms Demand Action Gun Control Advocacy Group. That is ostensibly about school safety, but clearly isn't about that. When SROs, school resource officers, are something he refuses to welcome back into the schools, when he is more concerned about this so called school to prison pipeline than about the safety and well being of students on campus when it comes to a variety of disciplinary issues, the discipline matrix that they put into effect in 2021 after the school resource officers were removed just exacerbates this problem. And especially when they did that with kids coming back from the COVID-19 lockdowns, the policies put in place by the bureaucrats in charge, the all-knowing, all-powerful federal government, and more. When you look at the schools, when you look at the school boards, when you look at the public health officials, you look at polis, look at county commissioners, all of them in on this, harming kids. And then they bring them back in DPS and they limit the instances which they can hold kids to disciplinary action and significantly limit the instances where they can go ahead and Call the police and let them know about something that happened on campus that normally would be crimes you'd notify police for. Post-COVID, they put that into effect. No wonder we see the disasters that we have seen when you isolate kids, put them into mental health, traumatic mental health situations of being away from their friends, missing out on significant events in their lives and so much more. And then you bring them back and you're not going to. Enforce discipline. What lessons are you teaching kids? The problem fundamentally with this so-called community meeting is it is being led by two school board members, Vice President Tay Anderson and Secretary Scott Esserman, who are utterly inept and unwilling to act in ways that are responsible, that are in fact culpable for the problems themselves. And the travesties that we are seeing, the loss of life, the violence that could be deterred if not for the policies that they have put in place. That's not to say that it would have been a panacea or end all and be all. That's never the case. But we'd have a much better environment in schools, which is why you see more people finally speaking out and saying, you know what? We need to restore school resource officers onto campuses. And again, school resource officers are law enforcement. They're specially trained to deal with teenagers. And they're, as I understand it, in Denver, they were handpicked by the schools. They tended to be people of color. And they were plugged in the law enforcement system, which is so important when it comes to the increased gang activity. It's only getting worse. And speaking of gun control, and then we'll get to phones at 303-696-1971, you look at gun control. And when you have teenagers who are like 17, 16 years old, who are stealing guns from their parents and showing up with them at or around schools, no gun control law is going to stop that. That's not going to do anything in that circumstance. Or... Through all the gang connections, you can have other ways of obtaining illegal guns. And yet moms demand action is going to show up and deceive kids into thinking, oh, well, gun control is going to solve the problem. It ain't going to be a panacea in any way, shape or form. It's not even part of the solution. It's a distraction from the real solution. 303-696-1971. 303-696-1971. Let's go to Marcus in Aurora this morning. How you doing, Marcus?
2: Pretty good, Jimmy. I like what your guests are, because there is a big difference between a resource officer and a security guard. Yes. That resource officer with the police department works in that community. And unlike a security guard, he can do a background check, arrest somebody on the spot, and it's taken care of where a security guard has to wait for that resource officer to come in there. And they're not part of it. If, Marcus, they're even allowed to reach out to law enforcement,
1: as in most circumstances, they are not permitted to do on the
2: campuses in DPS. And see, that's terrible. That's terrible. Aurora and the rest of the counties aren't like that. Only DPS. And they don't have any problems like DPS does.
1: I will say we are seeing increasing challenges on campuses that are reminiscent. But yes, to the extent of DPS, my understanding and what I have seen is that you're right. that These safety issues are not nearly as bad in most other school districts as Denver.
2: And and it's true. And and the police, when you got that resource officer there, a, a police officer in the community, the kids learn to respect them. They're, they, they, they—you know how they treat them, and they find out they're just a normal person too.
1: Well, and that's it's that's one of, of those those things is it's about relationship building and fostering yeah. relations with law enforcement so that students learn, teenagers learn that they can rely on law enforcement. By the way, that does not mean that they're perfect. That does not mean that DPS bringing back school resource officers, school resource officers can't. Sign an agreement with law enforcement that clarifies their role, that clarifies what they're permitted to do and how that relationship is going to be. Of course, do that. But bring them back.
2: Yeah. A security guard. What is a security guard? Really, Jimmy? Tell me what a security guard is. He can't arrest anybody. you can hold them.
1: No, no, they could. They could give um, tickets for certain things, but it depends on what I think they can. But yeah, they're they're really just providing some disciplinary support. I mean, they're they're, they're seriously limited in what they can do compared to law enforcement. That's for You're sure.
2: 100 Percent right, and that, and frankly, Thanks, that's bi- by
1: design. All right, Marcus, I appreciate the call. Three zero three six nine six nineteen seventy one. Listener text that came in, I agree with everything John Castillo has said, especially arming school staff. I do think that's the next level. DPS needs to start with school resource officers and revamping that discipline matrix that is exacerbating so much of what we are seeing. You know, what also is so important when it comes to school safety or the educational aspects of the classroom not just the safety but what you're learning in schools or when it comes to understanding the the learning environment understanding the the concepts that are taught understanding what the quality is of your kids education overall really that comes down to parental involvement parents being engaged yourselves I mean, we're seeing that less than should be in a place like Denver Public Schools. But in a lot of places, we're seeing parents getting more involved and paying more attention and recognizing that their parental rights are being all too often trampled upon. I wanted to spend a few minutes talking with Tamara Farah, who's a senior advisor to FreedomWorks Parents Know Best program which is co-hosting an event tomorrow with the Colorado Parent Advocacy Network and Lori Gimmelstein there, and Faithful Citizenship that's happening tomorrow afternoon. And I have the great privilege of emceeing the event, and Tamara joins me now to talk for a few minutes about it. Good morning, Tamara. How are you?
3: Good morning, Jimmy. Doing great. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. We are spending we were spending an hour with John Castillo in studio In the in the previous hour on school safety, and I I definitely think one of the aspects of of parental rights is being able to have transparency on how school safety is being handled at individual schools among a variety of different parental rights issues. But what have we got coming up tomorrow and importantly, why?
3: Thank you, Jimmy. Yes. So first of all, just to tell people where to go to sign up for the event to get all the details. It's at parentsknowbest.com Click on events, register. We look forward to having you. It's tomorrow at St. Thomas More Church. They've been gracious to host us in the Anglewood. Uh, in Anglewood, and it starts at 2:30 p.m. goes to 4:30 p.m. We have an incredible lineup. You mentioned Lori Gimmelstein with uh, CPand. ColoradoParents.org. She's doing an incredible job equipping and mobilizing parents and resourcing them as well as educators in the state. We love working with state-based partners. Uh, We have to all be in this together uh, to, to make it work. We our heart for tomorrow. We're going to give a lot of information. We're going to have an expert panel, a parent panel. We'll have uh, Nikki Healy with Parents Defending educate, Nikki Neely, excuse me, with Parents Defending Ed and Christine Yergin, an activist mom in the state. We're going to have great people with lots of knowledge. Our outcome goal to share with your listeners is to not only educate parents and residents and grandparents who care about what's happening here. Uh, but to equip and mobilize them so here's the bottom line jimmy parents are being intimidated right now i see it all over the country about speaking up at school board meetings they're being intimidated when they try to come and and volunteer in the classroom which is a right that they have according to federal law and i will be discussing federal law tomorrow um, and and explaining in simple terms parents rights according to federal law according to state law according to the court court's precedent um and so parents need to know that so that when these intimidation tactics are used uh, by districts or schools that they know how to stand up to it they need to be empowered be filled with courage and i always tell parents we don't want to be angry we don't want to be rude We want to assert our rights with kindness and respect, but we should never back down because these are our rights.
1: Yeah, make no mistake. It is the case that parental rights are a thing and they are very important, especially right now where they are so much under attack. Um, What is one piece of advice beyond what you've just said that you might give and maybe you'll give it tomorrow to parents who are listening, who are concerned about what's happening with parental rights being suppressed all too often in school districts in Colorado and frankly across the country?
3: Here's what we need to focus on we need to first of all take back the narrative we are anti-racist we are for all children of all color race and creed and we want as parents and as you know as individuals we want people to know that we want people to feel respected we want every child in school to feel treasured and valued regardless of their situations or circumstances and we believe not enforced Equity, equity, which is forced equal outcomes, which frankly is a myth. It's impossible to get forced equal outcomes. We believe in the American way, which is equal opportunity for all, not dividing kids into groups like schools are doing now. And so that's what we stand for. And I'll tell you what we stand for the most as parents. What What does every parent want their child to get at school? A solid academic education. Where they are prepared for success. And parents, this is how we need to talk with our schools about these issues. These woke cultural topics that are dominating the classroom as initiated by teachers, okay? And that is distracting kids and the time that is then allotted for teaching core academics. So true. It's heartbreaking. 77% 77% of kids, according to the nation's report card this last year, are not proficient in math and reading, and we need to end that mm. and change this thing.
1: Couldn't agree more with that. Tamara Farah from Freedom Works. Parents Know Best. Uh, we've got about 30, 45 seconds here left for you, Tamara. Remind us where and when tomorrow, and where can folks go to get free tickets to the event?
3: Absolutely. And we can't wait to have you, Jimmy. I'm so glad you'll be with us. Um, so please go to parentsknowbest.com and click on events and you can register for this event. You'll see it there. And join us tomorrow at 2.30 p.m. at St. Thomas More Church, who's hosting us. And we just look forward to the time together.
1: I'm looking forward to emceeing and being there and a part of this important event. Tamara Farah with Parents Know Best at FreedomWorks. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow.
3: Sounds great. thanks, Jimmy. All
1: right. Thank you. Once again, Tamara Ferrett, joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710 KNUS. I'll probably have a little bit of a postmortem in the coming week. Programming note, I will be filling in the entire week for Deborah Flora in the three o'clock hour show from three to four right here on News Talk 710 KNUS, cooking up some great shows over the course of the next week. So do not miss it. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. 27 minutes after the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS coming back with Joanne Shaw Taylor from her 2022 album, Nobody's Fool. Great tune called Just No Getting Over You, Dream Cruise. And she's coming to Denver, Paramount Theater. On April 13th, going to see if I can get her on the program, would be fun to talk with her. Joe Bonamassa produced this album. Good to be with you. News Talk 710, KNUS Best Damn Bumper Music, Known to Man, nearly 10 years running. Yes, indeed. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show will hit on its 10-year anniversary this coming September. Wow, a full decade, just about. Our telephone number, 303-696-1971. I believe 52 will be the high today, and mostly sunny, as we get ready for daylight saving time at 2 a.m. tomorrow. Frown. Frown, frown, frown. Fran, in Greenwood Village, texting in. Jimmy, nobody is talking about the two suspects. Who are they? Was the shooting a hit or random? The DPD, DPS, school board, East High School administration, many students know, but 479 and the Post refused to report these facts. Well, they've had a couple of students who I think are 17 years old, maybe 116, 117, that have been in, that at least were in custody as suspects. They are minors. I'm not sure how much information can be released publicly, but you are right that we haven't seen those details, and that should come out. We need to get more, especially knowing more about the circumstances, what kinds of firearms were used, firearm or firearms, and so forth. Because especially with the gun control narrative being perpetuated now, especially at 11 a.m. today, Manuel High School, go there if you're in Denver— Ask some questions. Tay Anderson's putting it on. The police chief of Denver will be there. Moms Demand Action is hosting it. So they're focusing on gun control. That's not the issue. And I think we would know that even more if we could get more details, as Fran is texting about, on what happened with the two suspects and who they are and so forth. At least... In Bits of information. And by the way, we do know that they're from another school. They're not East High School students. So what that to me suggests is that this is probably gang-related. Now, I I don't have a specific basis for that, but it seems like gang-related violence because... When we're talking about this situation here where you have a growth in gang activity among high school students, it's not the typical, you've got your territory for your gang and this territory for that gang. Now they're crossing over. Sometimes they're even collaborating. And they're crossing over throughout the city. They're not relegated to their territories. And so what I want to know is, was this gang-related, and was this an intentional hit on one student by two other students from another school? I think we deserve to know. The parents and students of East High School deserve to know. But continuing with what Fran texted in, this shooting happened off-campus. So is East High School a dumpster fire where good kids and adults have to suffer? Sure, sounds like it. Now, off-campus, but very close by, and I do think school resource officer presence may have had a deterrent effect. But yes, I agree. Good kids and adults are suffering. She continues, Gangs are a huge problem that mostly racist leftist white school administrators ignore. Please keep talking about gangs and all they do to destroy minority neighborhoods. So it is a huge issue. And frankly, I wouldn't blame the school administrators as much as I would blame district policies, district administrators, and district school board members who are unwilling to have the SROs that are needed on campus and who have a very shoddy, disciplined matrix that's, that ties the hands of their safety folks more and more and that prevents them from even reaching out to police for most circumstances. not the violent crimes and things like that. But there are a lot of things that go on, on campuses that now they can't call police. I've heard middle school teachers tell me we've got pot use among students in school and yet nothing can be done with uh, about it. They can't call police. What? What? Are you kidding me? No, it's true. It is true. And it is sad. Again, if you're in Denver. 11 o'clock this morning, Manuel High School, there will be a community meeting put on by school board members Tay Anderson and Scott Esserman, who are both part of the problem. They are part of the problem, refusing to act here in the best interests of the students. And again, if you missed our 7 o'clock hour, check out the podcast because we had John Castillo Father of STEM school shooting hero, Kendrick Castillo, who gave his life protecting his peers. We had John in studio and we went in depth on school safety issues. Great conversation. Please be sure to tune into that podcast if you missed the hour. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. You can also text in on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Let's go to Carol in Lakewood. Good morning, Carol. How are you?
4: Fine. How are you doing, Jimmy?
1: You know, I'm doing pretty darn well. The sun is shining, so, you know, that's all good. What's on your mind? I know.
4: Well, we're at 930 here this morning. I change our clocks back or forward uh, around... um, Wednesday before daylight savings Day time starts. Really? So That way, yeah. Don't worry about the the hour that you're going to lose. Just change it back now. If you get off, get back to your house. Just change your clocks back now because you don't lose that hour of sleep.
1: So how when you do it on? Well, first of all, you, you can lose it whenever you do it. So you you lost an yeah. hour of sleep on Wednesday night, right?
4: No, I no, no at all. No, I just. <laughs> I just go to sleep when I go to sleep, but it's the, what people are so worried about is you're going to lose all this, a whole hour of sleep when you can just change your clocks back or forward. Yeah, um, but your I, body I, yeah.
1: your body takes time to adjust though, Carol. I think it's a little bit more of a of a hassle. Look, I'm not gonna complain about it so much that I'm like, gosh darn it, I just hate life because it's daylight saving time and it's gonna be an I hour know. later you know, so on and so forth. Oh. But I do think that it's it's a hassle no matter when you change your clock.
4: Well, what they should do is just leave it on standard time until yes. get daylight savings time.
1: I agree. And you I know what? Congress me. has been at least inching in that direction to authorize states to make decisions, and um, and, and the state of Colorado's been inching in that direction. I think they passed the law last year. I can't remember what the status was well, on that, but
4: the, the Senate passed it. But the thing is, uh, U.S. The Congress, yeah, the U.S. Senate, but the Congress is not going to bring it up right now, so it stays there in limbo and limbo and limbo. And the thing is, it used to be uh, six months that you changed your clock back. I think they should just get rid of uh, daylight savings.
1: Well, on (laughs) that, I most certainly agree with you, Carol. Hey, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. 303-696-1971, once again, is our telephone number. A couple other things I want to squeeze in before we take our break, and then Peter Boyle's coming up at the top of the hour. We'll do our crossover conversation in the next segment as well. So, When we look at the issues of school education and so forth, there is coverage that goes on about various school districts um, in the media, of course. And some of it provides uh, cover for a district like Denver Public Schools or a district like Cherry Creek Schools. Others are instances where they go after a conservative school board or a conservative school district in ways that aren't warranted. Now, there may be some warranted criticisms. I'm not saying that about different districts, but oftentimes it is not warranted and it certainly advances the union agenda. I'm raising questions that maybe we'll get some answers to when I fill in for Deborah Flora this week uh, about What Nine News has been reporting in particular, I think some other publications are are doing it too, but um, on Kyle Clark's show this week about the Elizabeth School District that's sort of on the outskirts of the Denver metro area in Elbert County. And in the Elizabeth School District you just had midweek, there's five Republican school board members, three of them resigned at once effective during their meeting on Monday, coming up in a couple of days. And that is in protest in some way of two other school board members, staunchly conservative school board members, Heather Booth and Rhonda Olson. And 9 News, we don't have time to play the clip. You don't really need to hear much. I've got a few clips on it, but we'll talk about it on Monday, I think. 9 News is couching it as though this is all about critical race theory and allegations, accusations, claims from parents, community members, those two school board members that I mentioned, that supposedly this is the narrative that 9 News is putting forward, that they're obsessed with CRT being in Elizabeth schools, but it's not in Elizabeth schools. So they're basically looking at ghosts, chasing ghosts, And these three school board members resign specifically and solely because they're sick of being pressed on a CRT problem that doesn't exist in conservative Elizabeth schools. And as I'm looking into this already, there's a lot more, as you would expect when you hear Kyle Clark, 9 News, go after conservative school board. There's more to the story. And I've been looking into it, and it's just... Look, one of the pieces to this is one of the three school board members or two of them that just resigned said that they requested police to investigate a supposed breach of executive session confidentiality in Elizabeth schools. And here's what, I'll play this clip. Here's how last night Kyle Clark wrapped up Uh, That little bit discussion saying, well, they forwarded it to the Elizabeth police, forwarded it to Colorado Springs police and Colorado Springs police. Well, here you go. The Elizabeth police chief told us the department referred that case down at the Colorado Springs
0: PD where the incident happened. He told us today Springs will not be investigating. We're working
1: on getting a police report because let's be honest, this is wild. So stay tuned. So they said they wouldn't investigate it. And yet you're raising a stink as though that's something notable, as though it's a piece to why these school board members were legit and right in resigning, or at least that's the impression given. And he says, well, this is wild. Yeah, it, it, it is wild. Because there, it, there appears to be a lot more to the story, to the motivations behind these three school board members who resigned, resigning. I'm filling in for Deborah Flora all this week, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m., and we will talk about this on Monday. May have an exclusive guest as well on this subject. be digging in over the weekend. More on what's happening in Elizabeth schools coming up this week when I fill in for Deb Flora right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Then also, real quick, Leslie Harrod has a toxic mayoral candidacy, for mayor of Denver. You know, there's the old expression, where there's smoke, there's fire. Well, for Representative Leslie Harrod, smoky rumors about how she treats her own staff seem to have exposed flames. As this past week, the Denver mayoral candidate was finally subjected to meaningful scrutiny about her conduct as a state legislator since 2017, casting a shadow on her fitness to lead the city. That's what I wrote about in yesterday's Denver Gazette column, Leslie Herrod's Toxic Mayoral Candidacy. We well, had reports this week from both Axios and Denverite speaking to dozen, a dozen or more former aides and colleagues of Harrod about the way she mistreated staff. I encourage you to read my column summarizing all of this. But she was abusive to staff, has been abusive to staff, corroborated by a number of folks. And as I mentioned in here, I spoke with one former Democrat lawmaker who basically confirmed, yeah, I had staff that worked with, interacted with Leslie Harrod's staff, and they reported similar things. Leslie Harrod clearly has a genuine toxic workplace problem. Frankly, if you can't manage a handful of AIDS appropriately, no matter their race, gender, or sexual orientation, how can you run a city? With 11,000 employees, especially at a time, we talk about it all the time in this program, of broken trust in public officials and a city, Denver, in decay. By the way, this test of leadership extends to engaging with constituents, who she also abuses. She treats her staff, how she treats her staff, How Leslie Arid treats her staff reverberates in how she treats her constituents, going after a small, tiny grassroots group, just trying to clean up urban squalor in Denver. She hires Mario Nicholas, Lincoln Project attorney, gives him $35,500 in taxpayer money from the Fair Elections Fund to Mario Nicholas, and one of the things that he was tasked with doing was going after this small citizens group, getting them fined $250 for not having a disclaimer on their website. Meanwhile, Leslie Herod and her state House campaign rack up $15,200 in penalties from the Secretary of State, and she gets that waived down to just a $50 fine. I mean, let's be real here. Why does Leslie Herod think that as an influential political leader, she deserves special treatment, but a small rookie community group needs to be definitively punished because Herod decided to target them? She is resoundingly unfit to be mayor of Denver. And the question is, is she the one to trust that voters can trust to lead their city and its 11,000 employees as the next mayor of Denver? Or is her goal to represent all of her constituents? Or only those who validate or her self importance. That's the reality here. Check out my column in the Denver Gazette, Leslie Gazette, uh, Leslie Herod's toxic mayoral candidacy, laying a lot of this out. All right, we're going to take a break. On the other side, crossover with Peter Boyle's, who's warming up in a bullpen from nine to noon, right here on News Talk Seven Ten K N U S. Don't go anywhere. Here's another Jimmy for you. Jimmy Thackeray, chained to the blues line. As we wrap up and wind down the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk 710 at KNUS. Text from Alexa. Look at how Leslie Harrett, Jenna Griswold, and Kamala Harris. I would also throw in license plate tag clerk for Rapo County. Joan Lopez as well. How they treat their staff. Horrible. All have lots of turnover. The three of them represent typical female Dem leaders, not leaders, just bullies who disregard rules and morals. Can't argue with that. And finally, one more thing, and we'll bring on the man himself, Peter Boyles. Colorado liberals want to allow a so-called, want to allow so-called safe injection sites. We thought we'd... managed to squash that while they're bringing it back. Most people know that's a really bad idea. Safe injection sites allow addicts to get high on illegal drugs like heroin and meth without consequence. These safe sites are a magnet for trash and crime and only encourage addiction. Help us kill this bill. Log on to 710knus.com. Click on the Colorado Undivided banner to sign our petition to tell Governor Polis to veto House Bill 1202. House Bill 1202 to stop safe injection sites. Brought to you by Deep Colorado Wells IEC registered agent Stephen Wells, not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. All right, we got the man himself, nine to noon. Peter Boyle's here in studio. What's up, Peter? Good morning,
5: James. James, good morning. And this is the St. Patrick's Day Parade
1: day. Oh yes, it oh, is. Yeah. It so, is right. I, Absolutely. I, I, every, everybody, all, everybody be on alert. It's also the uh, the, the the meeting up in uh, Loveland for the well, Colorado that's GOP. <laughs> far more important,
5: <laughs> and there'll be far more crazies there than there will be at the parade. Uh, we're going to open with that. Uh, sitting outside now, waiting is. Dick Waddams and we're going to talk about all these election deniers. And it's interesting, um, and I know many of these people. But you got Tina Peters and Dave Williams. You got Eric and Kevin and Casper and Aaron Wood. I think every one of them, there's, I believe, every one of them has at least more than once denied the uh, the outcome of the election. And I don't know what's going to happen. Peters, of course, is facing felony charges and and, she was uh, convicted last week of an obstruction charge jail time Um, coming up and and i know dave i I know dave well i guess lindell has thrown his weight uh it was announced yesterday day before for for tina peters and there's no middle ground in this party anymore and the difficult place for the state party chairman to be who's who is going to stand there and go against the stench of all of this? You know,
1: it, it's one thing that I, there's one thing that I keep hearing. Folks will say, "Oh no, we're not talking about 2020 anymore. We're talking about fixing the system no. now for the future." And guess what? Most voters, the vast majority of people, don't look at it that way. No. They look at the two as one and the same. You talk about no. election integrity the way a lot of Republicans are right now, Peter. You're talking 2020. Oh,
5: well, of course. I mean, without there's, all of this is without saying. And then we're going to talk about Jenna Ellis, who
1: um, I've known her for like nine years. I mean, she big always, disappointment.
5: She always hung around talk radio. She was always, you know, hanging around studios when I saw her. And and um, Kyle Clark took Kaplis, and and Dan is a good friend, and Dan has had her on the air numbers numbers of times. And the night that she took the hit, um, he mentions Kaplis of being a, uh, a supporter, if you would, of 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 the work of Jenna Ellis. What I've heard from other about three different sources that after she cops to um, having not told the truth, then she said, well, really, have you heard any of this? that she kind of, well, yes. I, I, I had to say it.
1: Yep. The, the, and now she is being censured by the Colorado whichever licensing yep. board there well, is. Yeah. She's not being punished because they say like in any re- license removal because she hasn't first Time. had a disciplinary issue yeah. before, but yeah, it's not good.
5: But I think she had some problems when she was a DA, but I don't think they went to the degree of, of copying that, but there's a lot more people that are going to get uh, going, going to be removed off of, out, out of I'd be able to practice. Well, I mean, law I mean and, you
1: look at the the text that we learned this week from Tucker Carlson, well, where he makes a comment: the, the Democrats have Mark Elias and and uh, you know qualified lawyers, something to this effect. And we have Lynn Wood and you know, Powell. Those are private texts you know, that he was texting on well, January fourth, twenty twenty
5: one. Wood's out of his mind, and she is too. And what's really interesting is that they're they got to be next. But Tucker Carlson, who really got exposed from those emails, and now he comes back with this very well manufactured video that actually I was someplace yesterday where there's the final truth. And it's almost like they keep grasping for straws. Lord, Lord Byron holding a straw over the side of a boat to see if a drowning man would grab it. And that's pretty much what has now happened is. So now Tucker Carlson's trying to work his way back in.
1: Peter Boyle's nine to noon. Dick Wadham's coming in studio. Always great to hear from Dick. Tune in the next three hours. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. I think I'll stop by up in Loveland at the, uh, the meeting for the Colorado GOP. Have a great rest of the and I'm in for Deborah, 3 p.m. every weekday this coming week. God bless America